the microscope on Metro FM Talk. It's 16 minutes now before 9 p.m. We return to our story now under the microscope of uh, ComAir, which announced that uh, it's unable to operate given the current context with the coronavirus restrictions on air travel. And their board has decided uh, that the best option to ensure the long-term survival of the company is to implement a voluntary business rescue process. Now, Sean Collier and Richard Ferguson have been appointed as the uh, joint business rescue practitioners. And uh, ComAir, which owns Gulula and uh, local operator for uh, British Airways, has said in a cautionary note that uh, they only expect to resume operations around October or November. I was saying early on, might be September. Well, about Njalo, they think that uh, this... Uh, might mean they can only operate uh, in the last quarter of the year. Now, the airline hasn't been in operation since March 17 uh, due to a coronavirus uh, curbing flight plans. And under the state's plans to gradually reopen the economy, restricted air travel will only commence at Level 3, uh, which means they might only be able to uh, fly some of their fleet at Level 3 and uh, full domestic air travel at Level 2 and uh, international and regional travel only allowed under Level 1. Join now on the line to make sense of what all of this means in the context of uh, the uh, many challenges in the aviation sector by transport economist and lecturer at the Northwest University, Ofensa Mukwena. Ofensa, how are you doing, brother? I'm very well, Ibonga. Thank you for your time. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, maybe, Ofensa, I want us to start at a global level. I was saying earlier on when we were uh, touching on this particular story that this adds to the slew of bad news that we've seen for the global aviation sector. Uh, there were strikes sometime last year at British Airways. Uh, there's challenges at KLM and Air France, challenges at Kenyan Airways, challenges at a few other airliners, and uh, I guess closer to home, challenges at SA Express and uh, South African Airways. It certainly doesn't make the challenges that um, the DPE and uh, the government is having to deal with with our own national carrier uh, any more unique. I think it, uh, uh, you know, people often say misery loves company, and I guess uh, for many at SAA, uh, this is the kind of company that uh, would uh, make sure that they are by no means unique. Yeah, it is a it is a crisis of democracy um, in many ways because most um, governments are confronted with a situation where they could either you know provide a safety net, conditional safety net for um, airlines that uh, are operating in their regions, um, or they could instead um, allow the market to um, dictate their destinies. And um, this comes at a cost, but it also comes at a series of, comes with a series of opportunities. Um, some markets are capable of leveraging, like your Chinese markets, they're quite capable of leveraging, but um, domestically we're, we're in a, a bit of a complex situation because um, the, the structure of our priorities, um, especially in the aviation sector, um, are not completely clear. If you look at how Kwame is structured, it's a multi-dimensional um, and multi-sectoral um, group. Um, you look at South African Airways, it's the same thing. Um, uh, if you look at SA Express, it's got the same energy, but that's more of a developmental and um, airport-related kind of um, entity. So the decisions are quite difficult and, and, you know, nothing helps, you know, the situation, you know, nothing within the situation actually um, helps um, airlines to, to resurface.
Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, what, what's needed for some of these airlines to resurface? I, and I don't want us to maybe just only focus on the ones here at home. But, um, yeah. I mean, you'd be familiar with all of these different contexts. Uh, and, and I would argue that they differ. I mean, I, I certainly think that, uh, you know, uh, with the SAA, we've been putting money into... Uh, you know, a black hole without any expectations of operational changes that would change the ability of the airline uh, to sustain itself and be able to turn a profit. But uh, in some of the other airlines, there might be a different thing at need. And one of the things Comair was trying to stress today was that operationally, they are still a sound entity and they've been profitable for the bulk of the 74 years uh, in operation. And so this is, I guess, more tactical and a financial maneuver than anything else. Yes, it's you know, uh, so let's say that there are two ends to this. Um, the one end is, you know, f- making sure that their strategic position, which has been quite dynamic, I think 2019, um, moving forward, they've, their argument has been to reposition themselves um, and to basically run their value chain um, and get out of the, the maintenance structures from outsiders, place themselves in a position where they can uh, produce in-house technology. Um, so they're really trying to align themselves, um, you know, dynamically. And what they need to do now is to safeguard this dynamic shift. They don't want to lose their tactical assets. They don't want to lose their tactical position in the market um, in the long run. But at the same time, they are confronted with a situation where they do need uh, some time, you know, to restructure. And this this might be the price to pay to buy some time. Um, unlike other airlines that that could basically, you know, go under, um, you know, which is the worst case scenario. But you know, most airlines are going to try their most their best really to to survive. But Comair is, is an interesting group. It's structured in a way that mm. that will enable it to leverage. Um, various positions that it has and yeah and and maybe offense i want us to pause there and uh i want us to talk about some of the things that they can leverage because you know i remember taking a look at their results and and thinking about you know how much non-aviation revenue that they were making i mean revenue from some of their lounges and uh, all of the other things that have very little to do uh, with flying their fleet but uh, let's take a brief break and when we come back we'll continue discussing some of the features of uh, a commerce operational model that might make uh, their bounce back a lot quicker than maybe what we might expect for, from SA Express. I'm in conversation uh, with a transport economist and lecturer at the Northwest University of Mukwena, and we continue under the microscope on the other side of this. It's nine minutes now before 9 p.m., or eight minutes, I should rather say. And uh, I'm in conversation with uh, a transport economist and lecturer at Northwest University, Offensa Mokwena. Offensa, before we went to the break, you were saying ComAir has a few things uh, to their advantage that might uh, make for a much speedier rebound or recovery here. Well, I, I cannot say whether it, these are going to accelerate the recovery, but I, I can say that they have the, the kind of foundations that would enable them to be a little more resilient. Because they give them a better chance, yeah. Yeah, it, um, so they've pivoted um, They've pivoted within the aviation space and also beyond the aviation space, with vertical and horizontal alignment, um, and which is quite smart because, you know, if you, if you have access to the tourism market mm. from a via property, you know, arm, um, you also have access to to the technology market, and you provide external um, clients with services, so you can innovate internally and sell that to external markets through own suits and the likes. Um, and then, in addition to that, you're adding a new competitor to the maintenance 
um, segment, which is which is a nice way to pivot largely because of the nature of the aviation um, industry, particularly of the forecast that we're looking at for our continent. Mm. So, so, so in the long run, they're doing something something similar to what Aspen did with the with the capacity that they added. It doesn't really look good financially, but you know, in the long run, it actually picks up and adds you know genuine scale to the business. Yeah, so it's quite smart. Yeah, I mean, let's. Let's take a look at how this process is going to unfold that might make it different to the process that we're seeing at South African Airways, which started towards the end of last year. And I mean, Mm -hmm. this voluntary business rescue process started uh, effectively today. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm quite interested in how you're seeing this cookie crumbling for Comair (laughs) and what that might mean, not only for the people who work uh, for, you know, uh, Comair, but also, I think on the supply side of things, uh, even yeah. an entity like SAA Technical, which uh, you yeah. know might lose some uh, service and maintenance revenue and uh, repair revenue that they would have received from an entity like Comair for Kulula and uh, for some of the fleet that's part of British Airways. Yeah, so um, you know what what I find interesting when we zoom out is that the 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 conversation at a regulatory level um, is quite crucial because you know the nature of this decision is almost like a flag to to public sector to start really thinking about what's happening in the aviation industry so it's really like a you know you could say a red flag but but i would say a white flag for now you know just to say that there's something happening and there is a need for genuine consideration if and so the next phase uh, has to do with how the business rescue practitioners are going to try and work this out. Mm. And it's, I suspect, well, based on the the annual reports over the past couple of years, you know, uh, it appears to me that they do have entities that they have earmarked as entities that they're going to let go of. You know, they're not necessarily prime you know, entities, they were more of, you know, strategic positioning entities, um, but they're not technic- uh, tactical um, entities that would basically really enable them to reform and come out as a different kind of beast. These are more extensions, you know, particularly, you know, um, those in other countries, you know, like Mauritius um, and and perhaps... I'm thinking of one, but I just can't remember which one it was. It's a domestic, um, it's a domestic entity that they might want to let go of. But it's really just about rationalizing the service structure. That, that's what I suspect. Mm. Or just buying time. You know, yeah. And I guess, I mean, that's the tactical approach here. That, uh, you know, let's buy some time until November when we're able to earn some kind of revenue. Uh, and I guess the other implication of a voluntary business rescue here, which made it an attractive proposition, is, is that it, it effectively creates a moratorium on some of the month-to-month obligations that they would have still had to meet, irrespective yeah. of whether or not they uh, are able to uh, raise any revenue. Uh, what, what does that mean for somebody who's working at Comair? Well, at the moment, so leading up to this business rescue exercise was, uh, you know, Section 189. Um, and so this is going to continue in the business rescue process, which is a natural part of basically restructuring an entity um, and narrowing down the costs. And of course, um, the based on what they're arguing, they're probably not going to look at um, job cutting first, but it is something that is probably on the basket, well, in the basket, but they're probably going to do other things first. Um, when we look at, in the medium term, I suspect that there is a genuine lurch toward temporarily, you know, losing some staff and then 
again, when, when there's a rebound, people can genuinely be, be brought back. Um, and that can be structured through the labor unions, basically because when you go through this business rescue process, you are going to have to engage with stakeholders. Well, then the other element is, it, I think it's, it's quite a smart move because in a way it's like a, an opaque format toward like a diverting force majeure for certain activities that you might have. Um, and, and this is quite genuine in many ways. So I think entities along the value chain might benefit from this scenario because mm. they still have a customer after this. You know, it would be much worse if they went, for instance, into liquidation and then you wouldn't have a client in the long run. So, Yeah, yeah. It's, it certainly does make, uh, I guess, for... for you know, interesting case studies of uh, what what happens uh, to a sector like this, which is uh, so critical and, uh, you know, is a connecting sector to many others. I mean, I can't imagine how a tourism sector would be able to function without uh, the prospect of uh, air travel uh, from destination markets to uh, some of the tourism products. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, what what lessons, if any, do we take from this particular episode, not just here in South Africa, but across our continent and uh, the globe as well? about uh, what becomes the role of a state when it comes uh, to uh, some market failures in the aviation sector? Yeah, I mean, um, when we when we first talked about this uh, in 2018, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, how, you know, government intervention can tend to, especially in the aviation market, can, in fact, um, diminish returns, so produce very inefficient outcomes. And we've seen that with South African Airways, the Express and the likes. But at the same time, you know, there are moments like these ones where government intervention is justified and um, and it will be able to produce these sufficient returns if it's structured properly. And the argument is, you know, the range between what the kind of regulation we're interested in. Um, traditionally in South Africa, we're more administrative. Mm. Um, but then what we need is to get into a performance-based or an economic regulatory kind of environment sure. in which we start to incentivize new types of, um, of market players and entities, um, uh, even if it involves the state, you know, but mm. we create a, a marketized environment. So the big lesson here is that the state is supposed to provide a safety net um, for value chains mm. and not just not necessarily jobs, but actually incomes um, because of the nature of the restructuring process yeah, yeah. and the unpredictability yes. of, of the pandemic. So, Offensive. Yeah. We'll have to leave it there, my brother. And it also yeah, seemed, uh, as we talk about the role of the state, that our state is uh, considering uh, launching a new airline uh, in a sector that is certainly uh, taking a beating that historically has always had paper-thin margins. Uh, yeah. And uh, we'll certainly have to see how uh, that particular story unfolds. But uh, 